0: Hello and welcome to Useful Idiots. I just decided to find was, it out. I wasn't,
1: oh I see, Useful Idiots. I, I did see.
0: the U and the I, yeah.
1: Okay, For those yeah. of
0: us just listening, I traced a U and then I traced a, just a heart, it, it, vertical line.
1: It wouldn't be a very good looking symbol, I don't think.
0: Oh, like a U, like this. Yeah, it would look like a pitch, like a pitchfork or a tuner.
1: It could, yeah, it could live in a lot of things, none of them positive. Right. Um,
0: You want to hear very quick? Well, and this is Matt Taibbi.
1: I'm Matt Taibbi, by the way.
0: Yeah. Want to hear a very quick story about Uh a tuner. So my uncle, we were, my mom and I were visiting my uncle. He was in like, he had surgery. So he was in a a rehab center and we were visiting him and he wanted a guitar tuner because he had a guitar and he played the guitar. And he also wanted to, to get stuff from the deli. And he wanted uh, pastrami. So we came with the tuna and then the pastrami sandwich. My mom got a tuna melt. I don't remember what I got. I think maybe I got a tuna melt too. So we're sitting there with my uncle and he goes, can I have the tuna? And my mom was like, you want a pastrami? I was like, no, he's talking about the tuna, but he had a thick New York accent. So.
1: Right, right. I get it. That's good. What do you think the percentage chances that that Alexa will tell us a good joke if I ask her right now?
0: I don't want to get anyone's hopes up, so I'm going to say 50.
1: Alexa, tell us a joke.
2: Why couldn't the basketball stay in a relationship?
0: Because it was
3: always
0: bouncing around. Oh, Oh, that's good. Because it was always on the rebound.
1: Uh, No, I'm going to vote no on that one. Can we
0: give her one more chance?
1: Alexa, tell us a joke.
0: Why
2: did the plane land on the football field? To score a touchdown.
0: Ugh. Why did the plane land on a football field to score a touchdown? All right, one more chance. We got to Maybe it's Alexa, a,
1: tell us a joke.
3: What do you call a boomerang that doesn't come
0: back? A bummerang. A what? A bummer something? A bummerang? Like what? Bummerang? A bummer? Oh my God. Alexa, you're fired.
1: So lots of stuff to go over this week.
0: None of it, noticed, there... you said. And we I a guess there is. Yes, too. Oh, we yes. don't announce aggressive at the beginning, right?
1: No. Okay. No, we've gotten out of that habit. So, uh let's just get into it for food groups uh, uh you're up, right, Democrats? Yeah, suck?
0: I'm up, yeah. So, yes, Democrats suck for Democrats suck. Let's just go to the videotape and uh check out a statement, uh a lovely moment with Jen Saki bomb. Saki. The Biden administration considering extending that student loan payment pause. I know um there's if not besides legislation that probably won't pass, what are some of
2: the options that can help these people? You're talking about the student loan payment process that expires in February, just for, for clarity. So no, the um, other one. in the coming weeks, we will release more details about our plans and we'll engage directly with federal student loan borrowers to ensure they have the resources they need and are in the appropriate re- repayment plan. We're still assessing uh, the impact of the Omicron variant, uh, but a smooth uh, transition back into repayment is a high priority for the administration. Uh, the Department of Education is already communicating with borrowers to help them to prepare for return to repayment on February 1st and has to secured contract extensions with loan servicers. So we are preparing for a range of steps here. Um, These steps have provided, I would just note, more than $12.5 billion in discharges to nearly 640,000 borrowers, plus tens of billions more saved by the 41 million borrowers who have benefited from the extended student loan payment pause. But it expires February 1st, so right now, we're just making a range of preparations. And then on the Olympics, so
0: okay the answer to that question matt uh wilson can you play just the very opening of that clip the biden administration considering extending that student loan payment pause i know um, there's
2: if not besides legislation that probably won't pass what are some of the options that can help these people
0: they're asking is biden considering extending the student loan forgiveness right
1: yeah the payment pause
0: is he considering extending the payment pause right And the answer, you can't really tell. You wouldn't be able to tell from the minute. I fell
1: asleep in the, in the middle of the answer. So, so, well,
0: let me tell you what the answer is. It's a big fat no, right. But I I don't think she actually ever says that she says he will. They're resuming what I can't remember the word she says there. Does anyone remember? Well, you were asleep. Wilson, do you remember the word she says at the very end? Nope. (laughs) <laughs> right. can we play the very end of it it's just like literally the last 10 seconds just like our carlton the door-man. Carl, who is it carlton okay. doorman don't know that who's that uh
1: he is a sitcom character who is heard but not seen and has what, a
0: what sitcom
1: um I think it's the facts of life. I'm not. No, 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 not the facts of life. Though the, Val- the Valerie, the Valerie Bertinelli one. Uh, so oh no! Wait, Carlton the Doorman's from uh, from Rhoda, isn't it?
0: Yeah, Rhoda. That's the the isn't that? Wait, is that her? Is it Valerie Bertinelli? No, it's um, what's her? No, name? No,
1: no, 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 no. That's not Valerie Bertinelli. I know. What's her name? I don't oh remember. My God, this what her is name. like
0: the Senior Olympics.
1: Yeah, it is. Name it that is.
0: Whatchamacallit. what call case, it. In any case,
1: the the important the 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 this, the point yeah. was that Wilson is our sitcom character who is the he, he's the amusing comic relief who appears sporadically um you know for an easy laugh right does that make sense wilson yeah, you're not I offended so. by that are you
3: no it's
0: the valerie
1: best harper, praise valerie i could have gotten harper. from a boss <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Excellent. valerie yeah. harper not valerie bertinelli it was a valerie however
0: it was a valerie
1: all yeah. right
0: so just so. play the last
2: uh 10 15 seconds of this more than twelve point five billion dollars in discharges okay, so to nearly six hundred and forty thousand borrowers plus not tens of question. billions more states the question forty one million borrowers who have benefited of the policy. from the extended student loan payment pause. But it expires February first, so right now we're just making a range of- there. It expires February first. So that's
0: the answer. Is he considering <laughs> pausing it? No. Big fat no. But she never says no.
1: No, no fuck you, but.
0: Yes, no go but, fuck yourself.
1: Yeah, no go fuck yourself, but on the way here are some things to here consider. Here are some
0: things to consider that we're preparing for the pause. Right. We're preparing for the pause. What the fuck does that mean by the way?
1: I don't know. And we're we're still assessing the 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 impact of the Omicron variant like Yeah.
0: Well, like, what the hell could that impact be except for maybe more of a pause?
1: I well, no, I think what they're what they're what they're try- <laughs> what, what they're trying to say is We are. uh, We've already come to a conclusion that the omicron variant isn't enough of a big deal to to make us consider uh, extending this pause. Right. Uh, So that's that's actually a reason why. uh, Another reason why you should go fuck yourself. Uh, But we want to make it sound like it's a reason we're still considering.
0: Right. So fingers crossed, students. Maybe the omicron strain maybe it will
1: turn very deadly very you know and then you'll
0: be in good luck then you'll be lucky you'll have lucked Mm -hmm. out yeah also okay i know we're not supposed to but i'm a woman it's better so you can just nod Matt, or shake your head or condemn what i'm saying as problematic but what's with the like a lot of women do this my friends included and i would I'm, i'm not opposed to it but i think it's a little weird for a white house spokeswoman the press secretary to wear something with holes in it Especially because if, can we look at the, just look at her image again, Wilson? You see the holes that she has? I mean, they're not holes like, they. it's not like it's worn out. They're intentionally designed, they're cut in. But it looks like, if you squint, it looks, and it's a Navy shirt, (laughs) Matt's trying not to laugh. It's a Navy shirt and it looks like a cat or something with eyes. It looks like some creature. Do you know what I mean?
1: No, I have a totally different read on that.
0: Oh, what is it? it?
1: those are gills she's she, she's she's an <laughs> alien uh you're and right. and they, she needs to aerate right um, you're right right uh, you're right so
0: she, she's coming out as she's no longer <laughs> hiding the gills. she's alien, no longer alienation nation. yeah
1: yeah mm. well
0: so you know what now i really put my foot in my mouth because i just i just able- they're very odd I'm though very ableists right now I didn't know those were gills. Thank you for raising my awareness they, here, Matt. It could
1: be a v- variety of things.
0: It could be raindrops. Windshield eyes, wipers. Windshield wipers.
1: The yeah, eyes they... thing is pretty powerful once it's you true, look at right? it that once way. you
0: see it that way. Yeah. In this case, what would it be? I feel like Wilson and Taibbi, you know better than I would do. What creature that would be. Some kind of thing in a movie that I haven't seen probably.
1: Yeah, I, know, I, know, I know who you're thinking of though. Right?
0: With the eyes.
1: It's um, uh, there was also a video game called Rolling Thunder that featured featured characters who wore, uh, sort of hooded costumes that had yeah. eyes like that. I think. Yeah, I uh, knew one
0: of you would know. It's and for people just watching, it's like two raindrops.
1: It's not sexy.
0: No, it's, it's
1: it. It looks it looks more utilitarian. Yeah, it's says
0: like yeah, it says like pro- yeah, it's as unsexy as you can get with holes cut out of something
1: right yeah it makes that's why that's why i was thinking gills right away
0: right right. you're right because it's not really a good fashion statement
1: right it's like i needed to cut these in order to breathe
0: you think she did it right (laughs) before getting on stage like she was just getting she didn't have time to to take a breathing a a breather
1: maybe it could be we go back and look and see if that she if she makes makes room you know in some of the other... other
0: appearances she does the shake thing that The
1: grab and shake. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, the shift, the shifting to the more serious thing, like the student loan pause, it was, it was this, this was going to be a bad look for, for the Democrats, almost no matter what they decided, because this started under Trump, right? So having not done a debt forgiveness program, they are now going to end a republican instituted student yeah. debt essentially quasi forgiveness program
0: trump must be laughing his ass off
1: i, I just I, I don't i don't understand why they don't come up with some kind of solution to this problem that i mean i, I mean having written about this subject so many times it, it's such a massive thing in the lives of so many people like it, apart from um you know medicare for all this is the easiest easiest major fix they could do to change. Well, actually that's not true because this really primarily impacts the, the lives of people who are, who are college graduates. So you're not going to get votes. I mean, who already overwhelmingly vote democratic anyway, Right. but they should do something about it. It just, it, it's just, uh, it's just amazing that they keep punting away opportunities to, to make to do something about an obviously bad system
0: yeah and i bet there are people who are not who are independents who are parents of kids with debt you know who would like the idea that their kid doesn't have to struggle to make ends meet be punished for trying to get educated
1: i mean they should do they they should also just do something about the whole system and we, we you know we've had we've done a couple of shows about this but the whole system that kind of enables these companies to engage in types of predatory lending that the system was never designed to allow right, right? so, so you, you you can't give a credit card to an 18 year old who has no credit history expect really to get away with that but you can you can give um, massive amounts of sort of e- extra student lending to that same 18 year old under the guise of a student loan you know for expenses right you know and get away with it but
0: yeah great look guys great look (laughs) dem
1: anyway but yeah you're right yeah this is this is this is just yet another one of those things that's going to back up on
0: uh, or or, or it won't who knows i I don't
1: know i mean i feel like my predictive powers are, are waning like my memory these days so
0: well that's good you won't remember how embarrassingly off your predictions were
1: that's that's a good point all right. Yeah. For, for Republican suck this week, there was a lot of stuff to choose from and look the Mark Meadows thing was certainly food for thought. I just, I want to wait for the whole January 6th investigation to blow over before I kind of weigh in on that because well, for a variety of reasons, but there was another thing that happened this week that just always drives me nuts about Republicans. Cause they do this every single time. And I, I just don't understand. I don't understand. I understand why they do it, but it's just like it's almost like the the perfect def- definition of performative nothingness, which is quasi. Maybe it's like semi-annual demonstration against raising the debt ceiling. Uh, they did raise the debt ceiling, Wilson. If you if you can look, bring up the Hill story about this, you can see that they actually did do this. Sem- S- Senate Democrats raised debt ceiling after filibuster deal, right? So this is sort of expected, and here's how it reads. Senate Democrats on Tuesday voted to raise the debt ceiling bypassing a GOP filibuster as part of a deal struck by by congressional leaders. Senators voted 50 to 49 along party lines to raise the debt ceiling by 2.5 trillion. Though GOP senators supported legislation last week setting up the simple majority vote, none voted for the bill to increase the debt ceiling. So in other words, this is actually not a small detail. This is this is annoying, even though this was something that everybody agreed to, essentially. Right. Like they, they agreed to not put up a fight about this, but they voted against it anyway, just to have the, the appearance of more conflict. Right. When when this was this would have been an easy example of, yes, we can we can actually work together, but, right. you know, but we don't. Right. We hear Mitch McConnell in the story, if you go down, saying every Senate Democrat is going to vote on party lines to raise our nation's debt limit by trillions of dollars. If they jam through another reckless taxing and spending spree, this massive debt increase will be just the beginning, he said. More printing and borrowing to set up more reckless spending to cause more inflation to to hurt working families even more, McConnell added. Now, if you go back and look, uh, you will find... Mitch McConnell basically taking all sides of this position. Wilson, can we see the uh, Mitch McConnell on why this, why we, why you have to vote yes on raising the debt, the debt, summit, uh, debt limit?
4: As you know, we're moving toward the conclusion of this uh, period in session. Uh, we have left to do the FDA user fee bill, the uh, veterans bill from the House.
0: Can you pause it one second? Sorry, I, this is unrelated, but. They all they look like a gaggle of monsters.
1: <laughs> don't they? McConnell to me always looks like a nun. Yeah, it's true. Can I you imagine it. him with a habit on?
0: I mean, he would, he, he I'd would rather he would, he would not, lot, but now I haven't. He
1: he would look better than the um than the uh Larry David version of Sister Mary Mangala in the Three Stages movie. Uh
0: Sister Mary I don't know what that is.
1: You have to watch the Three Stooges, Three Stooges okay. movie, Unrelated which is, to
0: Doctor Mangala.
1: None. It is related to it. You, you, you have to. The
0: Three Stooges did that. That's kind of.
1: It's the Farrelly Brothers movie. You, you just trust me. Oh. It's really really funny. We well, yeah. should watch it. And Larry right.
0: David is related to it, or no?
1: He's in it. He he plays he plays the the oh, really the the city evil nun in the movie. It's, and, it's and,
0: called and, Mr. Mary Mangala. I mean Mrs. Sis, Mary Mangala. Sis,
1: sister, sister Mary
0: Mangala. Mary. Okay, we got to watch that. I yeah. mean, you well, no, heard. that's
1: not the name of the movie. The movie the name of the movie is The Three Stooges, but
0: got it. Yeah, the Farrelly Brothers did a movie called The Three Stooges, which features Sister Mary Mangala, mm-hmm. played by Larry David.
1: Played by Larry David, that's who's hilarious. fantastic. Okay. Yeah, it, but he would have been a, a more convincing Sister Mary Mangala. Anyway, let's let's keep listening.
4: Democratic leader and I've been talking about what I believe will end up being a pretty robust uh, package of nominations that'll clear that will help the administration get up and get running which has been as you know uh, quite a challenge uh, for them so that really uh, kind of sums up what we will be doing here before we break and uh, i would mention one other thing the secretary of the treasury the senator schumer and i had a good meeting this morning in my office to discuss the raising of the debt ceiling which we all know will need to be done which we all know will need to be done
1: OK, so that was before he, he took sort of mountains of shit for saying that. And then, uh, Wilson, if we could see the, the other version of his take on this.
4: Republicans are shining a spotlight on the reckless taxing and spending spree that Washington Democrats are riding behind closed doors. Doesn't he sound Back like a hostage? Pushing out yeah. all their chips.
0: It sounds like he can't fully open his mouth.
4: Temporary pandemic. As a trojan horse or permanent. he's got a tarantula covered in peanut butter in his, his mouth ran a unifying moderate is either powerless to stop them like john mccain's arms but mouse to. form <laughs> an avalanche an avalanche of crushing tax hikes that would hurt families
2: uh-huh, and help uh-huh, china
4: uh-huh.
2: how the does he not open his mouth so American's much
4: healthcare decisions child care move it so much family finance.
1: i don't know when we get that old we'll and find out not
4: trillions upon trillions more in government spending when families are already facing inflation. None of this, of course... Is he going to use the word penury, vote, do you think? I bet not. What word? Democrats have penury. I
0: thought you said pangolin.
4: They no, not pangolin. Penury. Pangolin also. Line ...to use a party-line fast-track process to ram through the Senate this version of their vision of America.
0: OK, dude, you can't read your own That's why Republicans
4: will not help this unified democratic government with its basic duty to raise the debt ceiling. This could not be simpler. If they want to tax, borrow and spend historic sums of money without our input, they'll have to raise the debt limit without our help. This is the reality. I've been saying this very clearly since July. And I think our Democratic colleagues are finally getting it because now they're fumbling for bogus excuses. They remain confident they can spend trillions of dollars to remake the entire economy in a couple of weeks, but supposedly they just cannot clear this much smaller procedural battle hurdle without Republican help. Really? Give me a break.
1: Once you spend the money, it's done. Like, Right. you got to raise the debt ceiling. There's no choice. Not raising a debt ceiling is right. suicide. Okay. Like if you, if you default on, on all that debt, you, you've already spent the money. If you, if you, <laughs> if you, right. if you don't borrow to, to fulfill the obligations, the next time you're going to have to borrow, which is going to be immediately, um, it's going to cost you a fortune more. So not raising the debt ceiling is not an option it's it's not it's not a political option it's not a it's not an economic option it's it's just not something that can be done if you want to fight about spending you have to do it when you're deciding what to spend this this is this is like this is like somebody saying oh i'm going to control spending you know by i mean and again we've talked about this before it does it's not analogous to household spending but right but the thought is similar, like, oh, I'm gonna control spending by not paying my credit card bill. Like, no, you control spending by not spending, you know, like, and so they they go through this dog and pony show every single time. Like, we're not gonna we're not gonna raise the debt ceiling.
0: How could Dems nail them on this?
1: They can't because everybody does it. That's the whole point, is is that is that both parties inevitably spend tons right so that both parties rely on each other to always raise the debt ceiling right um so in that sense he does ha- he, he does slightly have a point that it's kind of a conspiracy that be- between the parties to always do this but they never they never follow through on defaulting because that's asinine yeah more importantly they never follow through on 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 cutting spending right.
0: together cut the pentagon right. guys that's a big, right. big money hole, big money pit, it's so
1: like the a whole, boat. It's just that this whole thing is is just, it's just such a dog and pony show. And, they, and they're particularly bad about it. Cause if you listen to that first video of Mitch McConnell, like he just this accidentally blurts out the truth because he, he I guess he's forgetting to lie brief, briefly, like, oh yeah. Which we you know, the debt ceiling, which we have to raise, um, because You know, I guess maybe he's getting tired. He he forgot he he had to to
0: lie. Yeah, he forgot his talking points. Yeah.
1: So, and then later on, someone's like, "Dude, you got to pretend that we are not going to do this." Right. And so he go. He goes onto the Senate floor and like, "Well, we're not. They're going to have to do this without our help." And then, of course, they do do it with their help. That's the other thing is they they actually did work out a deal to and. it's just so frustrating. And did the Amer- like people who actually pay attention to this stuff either they're going to be upset that one or the other party is spending too much or is not serious about cutting spending, or they're going to be upset that they're pretending to care about spending. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like it, it, just, just the lying about it doesn't really help anybody politically. Right. Uh, so anyway, that's my Republicans suck.
0: Yeah, they and and how they do indeed suck.
1: And this goes back to their whole. It'd be one thing if this was just if, if this was this were right after. Well, even that didn't count. Like, you know, the historic budget slashing that went on on under Ronald Reagan, which of course, when you go back and look, turned out to be offset by a massive payroll tax hike that right. they that ended up having. You know, consequences on generations of people. They and was later presented as, "Oh my God, Social Security's broke." Uh, wonder why that happened, right? The whole thing is is just infuriating. But this 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 is just regular install installment of let's pretend that we really are going to do something about spending by voting to to do a suicidal, you know, abrogation of our financial responsibilities, like. Anyway, so what do we have? What do we have for,
0: uh, isn't that weird? Yeah. Um, so this, I thought, let me just be honest, let's, can we show the, or maybe we can surprise Matt actually. So at first I thought that this story, I read the headline and it says I saw Delta flight. Right. And I saw woman caught breastfeeding woman caught breastfeeding on a Delta flight. Is what I saw at first, and I was really angry about it. But then I w- noticed that the words between breastfeeding and on a Delta flight were, "her hairless cat." <laughs> so, woman caught, bre- and this is a great story. And shout out to the New York Post for providing it. Um, woman ca- caught breastfeeding her hairless cat Delta flight. A Delta passenger was recently caught breastfeeding her cat, uh, hairless cat, in a Delta flight from Syracuse, New York to Atlanta, Georgia, and ignored the repeated pleas of a flight attendant to put it back in its <laughs> bag. A message which was then sent to alert the Delta crew in Atlanta of the situation has been shared on social media and it says, um,
1: passenger in 13A is right. breastfeeding breastfeeding a cat and will not put cat back uh, in, in its, its carrier,
0: carrier. When, when flight attendant
1: requested. Attend,
0: Newsweek reports that flight attendant Ainsley Elizabeth, who was on board during the incident, took to TikTok on November 13 to explain more of what went down. This woman had one of those like hairless cats swaddled up in a blanket so it looked like a baby. Her shirt was up and she was trying to get the cat to latch and she wouldn't put the cat back in the carrier and the cat was screaming for its life. <laughs> okay, this is where it gets into, isn't that terrible too, yeah. But what that's not already terrible okay good well it was weird and then it was terrible it's the cat was into it it would be just weird the incident left the internet horrified such an ugly cat too uh people are moving their shoes during a flight is off-putting enough but breastfeeding a cat the seals of the apocalypse continue to loosen yeah has anyone tried unplugging humanity and plugging it back in (laughs) can you imagine being on that flight i mean i feel the woman needs help
1: i think there should be an airlock where certain passengers should just be released into these into the sky
0: yeah maybe <laughs> the cat would probably they, yeah. appreciate it i mean that cat needs yeah. to be rescued also right? yeah
1: well, and, and what's the pathology of a person who not only oh God. not only has that weird paraphilia about breastfeeding a cat but has to do it in public
0: yeah it's terrible i mean like what goes on in private uh, i don't even want to know I hope that cat was freed, though. That I just thought of like eight, cat abuse. eight
1: things that were really, really, that were really, really even terrible.
0: Share. Can't even. No, I her. won't.
1: I, I, I mean, careful. I won't, but I'm sure everyone's thinking, thinking similar things, you know?
0: Yeah, that's what she does in public. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, why, why is, why are there not more severe consequences for that?
0: Yeah, she should. Yeah. Well, I'm not, you know, I don't, I have problems with the carceral state, but I do think she definitely needs to be trained there needs to be an intervention no doubt I'm just trying to
1: imagine some a flight flight attendant walking down the aisle and looking you over see and that? seeing oh seeing like a, a a guy putting like strawberry jam on his dick and having a you know his, a, a dog licking it or something like that like oh my
0: god yeah what would you
1: do in a situation like that why, it, why that, that would certain. that probably, would certainly yeah. be arrest right
0: yeah that would warrant arrest yeah She's really pervert. She's, you know, what she's doing, she's, she's hiding behind. She's hiding. She's hijacking breastfeeding rights. Right. Right. Like there's, cause there are unfair restrictions on breastfeeding. So she's trying to dilute. Right. It. Yeah. It's a trick. Yeah. I mean, she's but- also probably fucking nuts.
1: Well, that's Maybe true. It's not a
0: trick, but how dare she unintentionally weaponize breastfeeding rights to apply them to a hairless cat who doesn't want to breastfeed.
1: Also, why is the cat hairless? Look,
0: that's just a thing. It was born that way. Although you know what, it does open the door. It's such a weird thing. It kind of opens the door for weird. Now I'm victim blaming. Now I was going to say for weird behavior, but that's not fair. You can't do that. Which part of do her thinks a it's a baby? Cat. Yeah, right. probably not. Right? A furry cat? Maybe not. I mean, that is a if if that's a baby, that's like the ugliest baby. Well, I'm sure. Yeah,
1: so. baby with claws.
0: Baby with claws and skinny. She clearly can't handle a hairless cat. Don't know if she could handle a haired cat. I think she shouldn't have rights to have any animals. This is a clear the consent is clear. The cat is screaming. I don't know if cats can <laughs> scream. What can they do? They can they can meow angrily.
1: Yeah, I think humanity needs to reintroduce some of those ancient, like, you know, exile traditions, like Yeah you know i'm I'm sorry, we just can't have you in the community anymore <laughs> we're, and we're gonna put the you, plane yeah, or just put her in a barge and you know yeah you where y- wherever you end up as long as it's right. not here it's that's it's fine, yeah you know, or with cats yeah. as
0: long as it doesn't involve an not encounter with cats or any animals
1: well, just any just not as long as whatever it is as long as it's not on our territory like oh
0: I see no, I don't that's that's out of sight out of mind, I won't permit that I see. You can't be allowed to inflict suffering
1: she you're more worried being, about the yeah, cat i'm more worried yeah. about I'm more worried about myself in the situation tribe yeah yeah
0: the human tribe
1: yeah exactly uh but yeah, that's pretty if bad did that
0: to bodhi I would kill them
1: I don't think bodhi would latch
0: no, I mean the cat didn't latch either Bodhi would probably bite actually, so she'd defend she'd have no i think the woman would have no she'd already have her rever- be disincentivized. Oh, you right. can take shit from people.
1: Good for Bodie. Yeah. Good for
0: Bodie. Well that was
1: definitely uh, weird. That was definitely weird. Uh, as usual, it's pretty hard to tell between weird the weird difference and between terrible. weird and, and terrible. Um yeah,
0: let's go for your terrible.
1: Wilson, how are we categorizing this? Is this a public service message? Is it, is it a joke? Is it is it what is it exactly?
3: I think it's it's public service message trying to be funny.
1: Right. Trying to be relatable and cool and TikTok. This is Jimmy Fallon featuring Ariana Grande and Megan Thee Stallion. They're doing this thing that is supposed to be, I guess, some kind of public service message about Christmas and wearing masks and getting your booster. Just Let's just watch it. It was a mask
0: Christmas.
2: What's up, y'all? It's Megan Thee Stallion. On the Grande and Jimmy Fallon. Y'all know what time it is.
0: It's time to get those boosters. <laughs> it was a last Christmas. We stayed in the house. High-
1: Wilson's right, this part is weird. Why are there no jokes? It's so serious all of a sudden. It's that no thing. joke, yeah.
0: Because it's actually trying to seduce you through entertainment. Look at them. They're back-to-back unmasked, which is not what they're supposed to be showing. Well, they're... They're a couple, so it's OK? I think it's a couple. Well, Megan's not there. We don't see her. Shoot. it's a catchy song oh my god okay wait stop that's That's the grinch right dancing
1: no it's a person covered in masks
0: oh my god i thought it was the grinch that's so scary no no
1: good yeah see look
0: wait i can't see it hold on let me make this full oh that's really scary
1: that's like that's like hashtag resistance porn right there
0: that's really scary right Whoa! I thought it was a Grinch dancing. Kind of looks nope. like a Grinch, but it's just a person covered in mask. It's so scary. Okay.
2: That's so Covered Oh my god. You know you have ornaments.
0: mask ornaments.
2: I'm going make it count, no more quarantine
0: on the couch yeah. This year hang that mistletoe I'm going kiss everybody that I know no, Just this you, no. you can tell, Pick those and jingle bells Put Purell on
2: everything
0: With Turkey, egg, now candy cane yeah.
2: Hey, a oh, there's a good chance of snow Hey, ho, oh. somebody wipe Rudolph's nose <laughs> oh. Hey, I promise does, we'll be okay Does Rudolph
1: have Coven? Rudolph have COVID? He's playing chess with a dog, and then there's a masked creature.
2: That's fucking really
0: weird. They're wearing. And she's wearing. Megan's wearing a nurse outfit. Sexy nurse outfit. And they're (laughs) running. What's that? Like Colin Oates or something? well it's kind of a catchy song i'm not gonna lie i'm sure a lot of people are gonna lose respect for me
1: i i i just feel it's it's just kind of cringe all the way through though
0: it's a message yeah well what's the message really the message is what get your booster we'll be in line for a booster you're not selling it well no one wants to be in line for it you just want to get it in fact this is like anti-vax anti-mask this is anti-vax Propaganda unintentionally.
1: Unintentionally,
0: we'll be in line for a booster. Why are you emphasizing the line part?
1: I guess so. The, it just the creature covered in masks
0: that's that's a scary thing, too.
1: That's a scary thing. Like, I don't want that fucking thing dancing in my house.
0: I know, seriously. You know what I mean? I think they did this. <laughs> I think the song is catchy, but I think you throw in the masked creature and then the we'll be in line for a booster, and you're just and the bad jokes about getting Wi Fi, yeah. as Wilson points yeah. out. Yeah. I mean, not to say I feel like kind of boomerish, but I kind of thought that was a cute little stupid joke. I'm really going to lose. I hope I don't. I hope people don't unsubscribe to the show because of that. But I'm just being vulnerable and real.
1: Yeah. No, I, I, I appreciate that. I, yeah, that, 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 that just is too cringe for me.
0: Yeah. But
1: the, the, the dancing mask creature and the, and the, the mask ornaments and then the weird, Switching of the masks on Ariana Grande and Jimmy Fallon. And yeah,
0: that's weird. So Jimmy Fallon's wearing a mask that has her face on it, the bottom of her face on it, and she's wearing a mask that has the bottom of his face on it.
1: Like, what's that supposed to mean?
0: Very weird, all of it. Extremely and is the
1: weird. is is the mask creature a fourth person, by the way?
0: Oh, I was wondering who's doing it. I think they just paid and paid someone to do it. What do you think? I mean, anyone could have done it. The, the dance moves aren't that good, and they're all decent dancers. So
1: no, but nobody's gonna not nobody that famous,
0: right? Is gonna do that.
1: Is gonna do that without their face showing.
0: Is gonna is maybe gonna, at the last minute they were like, "This is so scary and weird. I was gonna show my face, but let's just cover me up."
1: <laughs> that that I, I can't I can't have masks and and boosters. I mean, that's like that's like turning you know, the whams, I think it would have been funny if if they had done Masked Christmas instead of Last Christmas, you know what I mean, like as a spoof, Yeah. although I guess, I don't know, you're right, it's a, no, I mean, it's a catchy song, but it, yeah, something about it freaks me out, Uh, uh, not a significant amount, so.
0: They could have done, I'll be masked for Christmas.
1: Are we ever going to not have to wear masks and all that? I
0: don't
1: know I think I think that 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 tweeter is right about unplugging humanity and plugging it back in again all right well that was our uplifting uh for food groups and we're gonna uh now turn to our mystery guest so yes
0: yeah very excited to have joining us Christian Parenti, the author of several books including Tropic of Capricorn wait no wasn't that Henry Miller yes (laughs) Hold
1: on, Christopher, author of many books, including *The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn*, *Moby Dick*, *Anna Karenina*,
0: um, *The <laughs> and Bible*, *The Inferno*. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, um, uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ruth great. Rude. Yeah, *The Diary of Anne Frank*. Right. Yeah. Right. So another another
1: questions. great great Parenti work. Well, we can ask him about all those all those books. Yeah, I mean, look, it's gonna it's gonna, it's gonna it's gonna
0: be it's gonna be
1: hard to squeeze in squeeze in all those. Uh, uh, the, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff to ask about there.
0: I know we, so we
1: forgot Meditations by um that was when he was by writing Christian on, Parenti. Right. Oh, well, he was under writing under the name them. Marcus Aurelius at the time. Right. But um, right. But that was another great book, very influential. That is very influential. Uh, uh, back then,
0: all really great works. Oh, we forgot um, Romeo and Juliet.
1: Romeo and Juliet. Well, that was in his his dramatic uh, right. phase. Right. Right.
0: We we're not focusing on his on his drama, I, his plays. Right. I was
1: always more a fan of the uh, the comedies sure. than the tragedies.
0: Yeah. Are you there, God? It's me, Christian.
1: <laughs> Waiting for one. Parenti.
0: Waiting for Ferenti. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, uh, Chris Ferentti, for real, the uh, former contributing editor at The Nation, the author of uh, Lockdown America, The Soft Cage, and The Freedom, also The Tropic of Chaos, Climate Change, and The New Geography of Violence. And he contributes frequently to Jacobin and non site.org. Non site is, of course, um friend of the show's uh, Adolf Reed's site, it's a peer reviewed online journal. And we're going to be talking to him about a new essay that he has at that site.
1: All right. Sounds good. Well, we will. uh, Let's go to the video today.
3: Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about to think paula while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year it is far less likely than it is on thirty thousand dollars a year right i would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight it was a hundred percent you need to make more money make smarter choices and build a better life afford anything wherever you listen
0: so excited to be talking to christian parenti so excited to have you on the show to talk about among other things your recent article the first privilege walk which is at nonsite.org which is of course the site founded by friend of show Adolf reed and the uh, subtitle of this piece is how herbert marcusa's widow used a scientology linked cults methodology to gamify identity politics and thus helped steer the u.s left down the dead end path of identitarian psychobabble
1: that's an impressive subtitle i have to say like I, that like by itself that yeah we'd have you on just for that yeah like that that should get like a a nomination for something
3: it's like like a 19th century style subtitle (laughs) it's very good Subtitles would have like semicolons in them and go on. right 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 exactly
0: so what made you write this piece in the first place like how did you even stumble on upon this story
3: well i was as i say in the story you know when i was one of the first Mm -hmm. yeah i I hitchhiked out to California from Vermont, got a job moving furniture and I I had dropped out of college already. And there was this weird little college called the new college of California, which later folded. And that's a whole interesting story in itself. But, um, so I enrolled in the new college of California and it was a, you know, a left leaning, uh, relatively inexpensive, progressive little place. And there in my first semester in a, a class taught by an anthropology professor who had actually like had lived with Foucault or had stayed in Foucault's like little next door apartment. Um, we did this exercise and it was like, you know, I was sort of like, didn't quite know what to make of it, but it, you know, it didn't, f- it felt like it was avoiding, you know, real radicalism somehow, but I couldn't quite at that point figure out what was wrong with it. And for those who don't
1: know, what exercise are we talking about? Right. Yeah.
3: So the privilege walk, which was, it was founded. Shuffle? It was, it was called at first the power shuffle. And sometimes, sometimes it still is called the power shuffle. And this is an exercise beloved by social justice trainers where a group of people stand on a line and then take a step forward or a step backward in response to a series of questions such as, if you've ever been made fun of because of your ethnicity or sexual identity, take one step backward. If you're a white ma- man, take one step forward. And, you know, any, any kinds of questions can be asked. And in the end, people are arrayed along a spectrum of privilege and, you know, discussion ensues
0: or, I did that by the way. Or,
3: or it doesn't ensue. Sometimes, sometimes it's just sort of like, now look at this. And like, you know, take it all in as if living in this society, you weren't every day bombarded by uh, forms of inequality and sort of like, supposed to be, oh, wow. Hmm. So that's what the privilege walk is. And the reason I wrote the article was because I did this in 1989. And then over the years, people would tell me, oh, I just did this exercise in you know law school. I got into law school. And we did this thing or this blah, 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 like different places. And I'd always be like, yeah, I did that. I did one of those. And then I did it Union Summer,
0: by the way. I did it when I was doing Union Summer, which is an internship from that the AFL CIO used to offer.
3: I won't ask you how well or poorly you did, but
0: I I can't even remember. I just remember someone stepping. The thing the one thing I remember was someone they said, have you ever been made fun of for your weight? And this girl who was very thin stepped forward and I was shocked or stepped backwards. That's the only thing that stands out. Yeah.
3: Yeah. They should have referees in this. Cause like that's like, <laughs> I don't know, but, um, yeah. so yeah, it's, it's, well, yeah. What would the referee's uniforms look like? That's right. Yeah. Um, something cultish, like a black tracksuit and Adidas maybe. Right. Yeah. 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 Shed your so, container. Mm-hmm. And actually it was weird. I actually started, um, I read, I read the, the Helen Pluckrose book Cynical theories, and I, and I was like thinking about reviewing it. And I started writing about this and looking into it, researching, trying to figure out where it actually came from. Because I had a hunch that that these people I knew were probably uh, at, at the beginning. And, and sure enough, they were. So this professor of mine had learned it from the one of the people who had invented it, who was named. She has since passed away. Her name was Erica Cherover Marcuse. And she was a student of of uh, Herbert Marcuse's and then later married him um, and was his widow. And so- And can you
0: just share, because not everyone is familiar with Marcuse, can you just give a short biography of him? It's
3: going to be tough. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, a member of the Frankfurt School, kind of, you know, neo-Marxist German critical theory that was in the Frankfurt School named for, you know, Frankfurt, Germany, where the research, the Institute for Social Research that they were all part of, was housed there and they were all scattered to the wind by the rise of Nazism. And the Frankfurt School was, the thinkers of the Frankfurt School were concerned with the question of subjectivity and how capitalist society, um, you know, engineered consent. And um, they they were most famously about mixing Freud and Marx to sort of move beyond the, the traditions of sort of classical Marxism that were at that point heavily rooted in, you know, political economy. And they were in many ways, one of the opening acts of a kind of uh, the cultural turn as it later becomes known. I mean, now there's just, you know, a whole cottage industry in in um, the kinds of cultural analysis that the Frankfurt School pioneered. And Marcuse was in many ways the kind of most left, because Some of the Frankfurt School members, when the 60s come along, kind of like Adorno, um, there's Adorno, Horkheimer, Marcuse, those are the most famous, Eric Fromm is part of it. There's a bunch of other um, lesser known scholars who are part of it. And like Adorno sort of turns against the new left. He sees the new left radicalism as kind of dangerous and um, unhinged. And Marcuse in America becomes like the kind of a, a philosophical wellspring for new left politics, so he's helping infuse the the milieu with ideas, and he's also you know responding to the whole moment and responding to the milieu. It's not like people are just like reading Marcuse and then doing things. It's like people are in and out of movements. There's a cultural revolution. There's riots. There's these radical movements. The 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 civil rights movement has been victorious, and there's the rise of uh, the Black Power movement, the Panthers, various other ethnic nationalist movements. The you know the 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 student left is becoming increasingly, or elements of it are becoming increasingly radical. So, Marcuse is influenced by all that and influences it. And yeah. and very very importantly he's quite cynical about the role of working classes in core capitalist economies. He sees them as having been too bought off essentially, that, they, that even though they remain like an actual, a real class in that they don't own the means of production and they just sell their labor, that intellectually they're hopeless, that they, they're, they, they're never gonna be a class in themselves, a, a class for themselves, they're not going to develop class consciousness because they have had too many victories. And, you know, that wasn't entirely untrue. There was, you know, large parts of the industrial working classes in the West were pretty conservative and were doing quite well. But the great irony is that that was largely due to the fact that they had been so radical and so united and so disciplined and they had won these gains. And then Marcuse dies in 76 and, you know, in the last couple of years of his life, there's already the opening acts of what we now call neoliberalism, right? This like this shift away from the the intellectual consensus around policy that comes out of the 1930s, uh, which is that, okay, capitalism has to be managed. There's gonna be booms and busts. And there's, you know, regardless of any moral concern, there have to be programs to redistribute money to the poor so that, you know, the business cycle is you know flattened that you know recessions aren't as bad and and there's a turn away from all that that begins in the '70s and you know Pinochet famously in Chile is part of it but the austerity in New York City during the fiscal crisis is is one of the opening acts domestically so even in Marcuse's last years um, like an assault a new and really vicious assault upon the gains of the working class are beginning. But so if you want to be charitable to Marcuse's cynicism about the working classes in core economies, you could say, well, he he, he was commenting at really like the peak of living standards um, for that class. And and he kind of he missed the worst of what was to come in the 80s, where there's just, you know, wholesale deindustrialization, breaking of unions and, you know, the total transformation of, of regions like the Midwest, just like. Devastation as a result of of policy that allows business to automate more radically and outsource and just close up shop and go away.
1: He but he had become famous already for you know that book One Dimensional Man, which essentially, I mean, I think you characterize it as uh, describing the working classes as, as a little bit lazy or uh, they, they'd been uh, essentially anesthetized by the consumer gains of. I guess it was then 1950s America, right? Then when he was, he was writing uh, that book or early 60s, maybe. Yeah. Um, I,
3: I forget when One Dimensional Man came out, but. But, but yeah,
1: the, I, the idea was that the the working class was not going to be sufficient by itself to achieve uh, revolution. And so there needed, there needed to be a new coalition.
3: Yeah. Uh, a new revolutionary subjects. Right. So that's like that kind of opens the door for like, uh, for-
0: identity, by the way.
3: You know? And, and, and there, an assumption begins, which is that somehow all of these identitarian struggles, which were important and you know, were based in real grievances, that they would somehow add up to a force that could and would challenge the domination of capital, i.e. the domination of big business and the 1%. And in the ensuing decades, I think we see that that, that's not true. It does not add up to that, you know? And in fact, it functions as a kind of ersatz left, as a kind of decoy left. Not that there's like some great conspiracy, but that there's a realization among policy elites in the 60s that opposition is never gonna go away, right? That under capitalism, under really any class society, there's never gonna be just total consent and and social peace, there's always going to be resistance. And so the choice then is like, you know, if, if, you know, as for economic elites, it's like, well, what kind of opposition would you prefer to have people organized as workers who want higher wages, who want the decommodification of things like education and healthcare, who basically want to take your money and redistribute the wealth that society produces, or would you prefer... An opposition that's much more fragmented and is about um, ending discrimination, changing the way language works, that that's that's ultimately making a set of cultural demands. Not that these cultural demands never have any material impact. They do. But but they don't add up to give us the money, you know. Right. It's
1: a little bit more, as you described, a little bit more about etiquette manners in in, in some respects than, you know money and power
3: yeah part of the fallacy uh, it, in all this is also that that the you know for example like racial disparities that these are the result only of racist attitudes and that's you know that doesn't really always pan out uh, james foreman junior's excellent book locking up our own is good for this and he the book opens he's a defense attorney and he, his client has been sentenced to and he looks around in the courtroom and everyone is black. And the book then goes on to explain how you know, a lot of African-American prisoners in America are sent to prison from cities that aren't controlled by white elites, but are controlled by black elites. And that it would be wrong to say these prosecutors and judges and black police captains are racist. They're not racist. They've in fact fought against white racism to get where they are. But that doesn't prevent them from locking up and making careers upon locking up poor black people. And so the end result is racial disparity and the incorrect assumption that a lot of people make is that that's always rooted in the mentality of people. And if you can change people's feelings and attitudes, then these policies are gonna change. And you know, Foreman's, what he shows is that like, you can, you can change the entire personnel and you get the same outcomes. So and there's Forman something black, deeper right? and more structural than just the attitudes of people in these courtrooms.
0: And Foreman is black, right? Yes. That's He's I the
3: see. son of civil rights leader James yeah. Foreman, senior. So, so tell us a
1: little bit more about uh, Ricky sherover Marcuse and how and how this this is, this is an amazing journey described in, in this article of uh, how she came about, came to have all these ideas. Who else influenced her along the way? I mean, I think if we were more widely known, there'd be, there'd be a lot of questions about some of these these ideas. But uh, could you
3: talk a little bit about that? So it begins. I mean, her father is a is an important character. I mean, it, there's a way in which this is a classic, you know, generational conflict. Her father's name was Miles Cherover, and he was born in Poland. He comes to America. He's orphaned. We're um, not orphaned, but his father dies, and uh, by age 11. He's selling insurance door to door. He graduates from City College, and he's some sort of a lefty in definitely in like the CP milieu, If whether or not he was a member of the Communist Party. I don't know. Um, he Hello goes travelers. to the Soviet Union. He travels around. He does international kind of left journalism, writes some pieces for the New Republic. I think he writes a piece or two for the nation. And then he is an efficiency engineer in the Soviet Union, so really like a real character he then comes back to america and he becomes the first person to underwrite soviet bonds and very crucially he becomes the spanish republic's purchasing agent it's kind of like their guy in washington on the on the economic front during the spanish civil war when there's a a fascist uh coup attempt within the army and then there's you know the civil war and uh nazi germany and fascist italy go to the support of Franco and his rebel forces, and the world embargoes the Spanish Republic except for the Soviet Union and Mexico. And so Miles Cherover is in the US and isolationists in the US Congress have passed laws preventing any aid from going to the Spanish Republic. And Miles cherover Mercuza, with, with, with the knowledge of and approval of Franklin Roosevelt and working closely with his brother-in-law, um, Gracie Hall Roosevelt, who has the same last name, even though he's his brother-in-law, because of course, um, Eleanor Roosevelt's maiden name was Roosevelt because they were cousins from the two different yeah. It
0: took me a while to figure that out. And then I remember they were
3: cousins. They're weird. Um, So, but to his credit, Rose FDR is like approving these secret deals. Miles Sharover sends 30 shiploads of, you know, weapons and medicine and supplies to the Spanish Republic. At least one historian I quote, says that his company, Hanover Trading, was central to keeping the Spanish Republic alive for two years. And then he's finally uh, working on getting over 100 bombing aircraft shipped to France, but it's for Spain. And right wingers in the aircraft industry get wise to this and like, wait a minute, what is this? And so the whole thing blows up. And um, But like Miles Sherver went to the to the White House and met with FDR on this stuff. And he also facilitated the transfer of Nazi, uh, of German and Italian aircraft technology to the US which was important in US preparation for the war to study that that technology. So then after the war, Miles Sharover goes to Mexico. He makes documentaries in Mexico and he then, he somewhere along the way, he acquires the rights to several Charlie Chaplin films. He sells the rights to these films, to the great dictator in particular, but he owns several others as well, to the Czech government for like 10 times the going rate for such a deal. He parlays that money into creating the largest private steel corporation in Venezuela. And then by the early 50s is splitting his time between Jerusalem and Caracas, and he endows the Jerusalem Theater, and so he's like he this leaves his wife innocent.
0: and he leaves his wife and kids, right?
3: That's yeah, right. Along the way, when he goes to Venezuela, he leaves, he abandons his wife and his two kids. The eldest daughter being Ricky Sherover.
0: Erica's nickname is Ricky.
3: Right, that was her nickname. Her real name was her full name, Erica Sherover, and then Erica Sherover Marcuse. Ricky then, uh, you know, is educated in New York City. She goes to Oberlin College, and when she graduates. She goes to Israel and she spends time on a kibbutz and her father tries to come and see her. So there's clearly like this conflict between them. They eventually reconcile, from what I was told, by family members. And so she is part of the new left. And this is in, I think she's in Israel in like 60 and 61. And she then comes back to New York. She enrolls at Brandeis, where Marcuse is teaching at the time. She becomes a teaching assistant of his. And then when he goes to UC San Diego, she goes with him and Marcuse's um, second wife, uh, Inga Neumann, I believe she passes away. And so Marcuse is widowed. And then a year or so after he's widowed, he and Ricky get together and then are married. And um, she writes a dissertation. I mean, Marcuse is has passed away. He dies in 76. And Erica, Cherover Marcuse writes a dissertation, does a dissertation with under the, the guidance of Habermas, is how she finishes it. Habermas, who's still alive, was um, you know, a, a Frankfurt School luminary. And she publishes that book, and it's called Emancipation and Consciousness. And it's a it's a critique of Marx for not having a theory of revolutionary consciousness. And it's, you know, it's basically says that Marx, um, you know, Marx. Too, t- too materialist. Yeah, Marx is too materialist. And so, you know, it's very much in this kind of, you know, the the vein of, of what Herbert Marcuse was concerned with and in the vein of what the new left across the West was, was concerned with, which was you know, transforming consciousness? How do you build revolutionary consciousness in the advanced capitalist core? And how do you, you know, how do you throw off the, you know, the soft and comfy shackles of consumerism and entertainment culture that, you know, have been anesthetizing people?
0: And to hear the rest of the interview, please go to usefulidiots.substack.com. That was great, huh?
1: It, it it was that that's an article after my own heart honestly yeah i know i mean i have
0: had him on for a while and then that was just like that was like made for you in a lab that article
1: but see this is part part of this is what it what it irritates me about a lot of my own experience in the last 2 or 3 years i don't particularly classify myself classify myself as a person of the left although i, I clearly grew up you know on that side of the spectrum like an ACLU right you know liberal like all that stuff But to me, my immediate reaction to a a lot of sort of new left movements is that this was not leftism. That this was a corruption of something. That it's on some level uh, some kind of play. I couldn't like figure it out right away, but it seemed like um, you know it's easy to see when you when you when you follow. The Bernie Sanders campaign—that right. what he's asking for is is very simple, decipherable, and left. clearly, clearly sincere, and clearly, yeah, has a, has a has a left tradition. Although I would say it's a much watered down version of right. of the left, right, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But it's you can you can easily understand where he's coming from. Yeah. This other thing is not so simple to understand, and you know i I think the degree to which just watching it even clash with the Sanders movement and interact with it in the, in the last few years and the to see almost the, 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 that it was hostile to the Sanders movement when it should have if it was really left it should have been deeply enthusiastic about it right. Um, well, because
0: they're not, yeah, because they're a bunch of corporate sellouts. So
1: anyway, I think I think that I think this article is yeah, is is really interesting because it, it 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 explains a lot. This idea of sort of psychologizing politics and and, and diverting attention from yeah. the material side of things. We've talked about that with people like Edelfrey before. Yeah, that, that history makes a ton of sense. Yeah, the more and you it, know,
0: and it just also it's so it's so counterproductive and whether or not you care about disparity or you care more about actual injustice and exploitation you know given how racism works and how our economy works obviously when you address the exploitation and you increase people's wages you're going to be disproportionately helping people of color
1: right Right. I'm just making an
0: argument for people who see who have that view. Um, No one gets thrown under the bus by by mass class based politics. Not
1: necessarily. No, no, I mean, the people who get thrown under the bus in in, in mass class based politics are the relatively few. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Very very few people who, you know, have way too much money. Right. Right. Like they don't
0: even get thrown off the bus. They get put from like a first class see no what's like the top of the first class they get thrown they get like okay they get removed like once every five flights from a private jet or something yeah no one, yeah they're fine. exactly
4: if, if
1: it's the sanders version yeah yeah
0: yeah, yeah. i mean
1: if you're fever. if you're talking about the the you know the, the bolshevik version it's a oh, little yeah. bit more brutal yeah i
0: think we need to threaten them with that if only they thought that the alternatives were that or sanders
1: but for sure and and this is something that came out for me with with the Loudon thing is just when you let this loose on everybody, the immediate reaction is is complete mayhem. Everybody yeah, we, hates everybody else and everybody blames everybody else. Like it becomes impossible to even imagine organizing anything, you know, in, in an environment like that.
0: And so. we didn't even have time to get into this. We can talk about it another time. But one of the women who participated in this stuff and is now kind of like a right winger Um Talk, uses the word globalist, um, mm. was kind of like turned, I think rep- repulsed by some of those practices and still rails against like, see, still sees the the 1% as the enemy, but now from the right, not from the left, because she was so turned off by this stuff.
1: That's interesting. That's yeah. interesting, yeah. Anyway, great article. Highly recommend article. everybody read yes. it. And, yeah. and um, great review. To and yes, uh, great review.
0: subscribe.
1: And uh, we will see you again soon.
0: Yep. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Hello. Thank you so much for listening to and watching Useful Idiots. For full episodes and extended interviews, please subscribe at UsefulIdiots.substack.com. You can subscribe on YouTube at YouTube.com slash UsefulIdiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes. Also, subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at UsefulIdiotPod and use the hashtag UsefulIdiotsPod. Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the Useful Idiots Monday morning show where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows so you don't have to watch them.